0: The reading is taken from the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, starting from verse 1. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed in a heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with a heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come, Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, for he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for putting us in a church family which um, sees world mission as uh, central to uh, what we're doing and who we are, what we're part of, what you're doing in the world. And we pray that you would help us to be excited about that and caught up in it this evening afresh, for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, Mission Week is about um, celebrating and supporting those who have gone out from this church as ambassadors for Christ, as Paul would call them. And it's also, of course, about us having an opportunity to bless uh, a, uh, an enterprise of one kind or another, uh, an exciting enterprise where people are doing great things in the name of Christ. And just in my time as vicar in the last um, 12 years, uh, We have seen many people from St. Andrews go and serve Christ uh, in the mission field. There have been many short-termers, like uh, gap year students, and they've had life-changing experiences. There are those who have been uh, with Street Hope to uh, Kenya and had an amazing experience. We've had uh, short-term mission trips, like the ones to Ethiopia and to Kenya, and of course the one planned to Nepal in September. We also have many who have been and served and completed their assignments uh, overseas, like Colin and Sarah Wilcock, who served in China and Mongolia for a while and continue to be involved. In fact, they're about to go back uh, to visit some of the work that they were involved in there. Penny Sampson served in Bangalore for quite a while. Stephen and Lynn were in Istanbul in Turkey. Stuart and Chloe were in Uganda. Anne Vowles was in Cambodia. And we've got these ongoing links with the Lighthouse Chapel in Ghana, with the ministry of Yata Samura in Sierra Leone, and of course the link with Street Hope in Kenya, which we're supporting this year, which you just saw about. And just in the last year, we have seen uh, the Downings, a family uh, who were living in uh, Marston, move from Oxford to Albania uh, to serve Christ there in that uh, traditionally very atheistic country. The Band Torrens, Bedina was here last week, have returned to Holland, and Bedina is beginning her international and teaching role with CMS. Their son, Martin, continues his training uh, for uh, whatever future mission God has in store for him. He's currently training in Barcelona. Tim Kempton has just gone uh, to Nigeria with Wycliffe Bible Translators. David Coates and his family are in the Dominican Republic with World Vision. I make that five new mission partners in a year. And many of our other mission partners are in exciting times, and you can read about them in the booklet. If you haven't taken one already, please, uh, please take one. And on top of that, of course, many of you and many others in our church family are committed to other mission agencies in all sorts of ways and in all sorts of parts of the world doing great things. And I think this is totally brilliant, and I, I believe that even amongst, amidst the kind of huge challenge that we have set ourselves to build a mission building here, we must remain thrilled and excited about those who have gone and are going still from us. It was really encouraging to hear from Philip Mount Stephen, the um, boss of CMS, last week after he had preached so wonderfully for us at all our service that he was excited to see that St. Andrew's uh, that our commitment to international mission was as strong as ever. St. Andrews, he he knew before he came here, before he came back to Oxford, that St. Andrews had a reputation for being a church that was concerned and involved in world mission, and we have not lost that emphasis. Perhaps for some there will be the need to respond bravely to the challenge to go to a cross-cultural situation and represent Christ as his ambassador in a tough place. There are, I know, some in our church family actively considering that at the moment. Quite a few of you, actually, have recently come to see me to talk about that possibility. And if if that is you, and God is calling you into a cross-cultural situation, you will find little peace until you obey the call. But I guess that will always be a relatively small number of us who actually go... And Philip reminded us when I interviewed him last week that the global mission scene is now very different to what it was a generation or two ago. There is now a flow of missionaries both ways. Those in Asia and Africa who have inherited blessings from the 19th and 20th century missionary movements, who know at first hand the impact of people going into a cross-cultural situation with the gospel, now look at our Western secular world and see it as a mission field to which they can send people, and they are doing so. So, for instance, this week I was with a gathering of pastors in Oxford around the whole Love Oxford movement, and amongst those pastors are quite a few who have come from overseas to help us here. And what will they find here when they come? Will they find us content To have a week's emphasis on mission and then go back to our daily concerns as if nothing has happened? Will they find us complacent complacent as we watch yet another film of starving children in Africa living in slum conditions? Will they find us weary of trying to share our faith with with neighbors who show no real interest in Christianity or are astonishingly ignorant? I can think of one of my nephews, whom I love greatly, with whom I had a conversation uh, not so long ago. He's kind of a, a typical 30-year-old secular British person, and he said to me, in complete honesty, he said, I know nothing whatever about the Old Testament, I know nothing about it at all, but I, but I do know that it's rubbish. <laughs> I think a lot of people, that is where a lot of people are, very ignorant and dismissing it when fired-up missionaries from other cultures arrive here, what will they find? Will they find the kind of people that Paul longed to see in Corinth? Will we be the kind of people that Paul describes here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the people who he can call ambassadors for Christ? Will that description match us? Will they find us and our church like that when we, uh, when we find that we're the only person in our group at school, for instance, if you're in Sago or Pathfinders here, if you're the only one in your group who is a Christian, uh, how do people react? What do they think of you? You may be the only Christian that many people know. You may be the only Christian some people ever meet. How can we be? How can we be effective mission partners? How can we be effective? ambassadors for Christ? How can we faithfully represent the King of Kings in territory that denies that He is the King? So, I just wanted to share four thoughts uh, from this passage to, I hope, encourage us this evening. I hope that they will see in us that we are compelled by love, that we are compelled by love. Look at, uh, at verse 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for Christ's love compels us, for Christ's love compels us. This is really a really important point, actually, because often sharing our faith does not feel loving, but a kind of wearisome duty. I remember Steve Chalk, the television vicar and slightly controversial, I suppose, Baptist preacher, telling us at Spring Harvest a few years ago that For a long time, he felt he had that kind of obligation to share his faith at every opportunity. And he was constantly trying to engineer conversations around to Christianity. And he felt burdened by this and kind of weary of trying to make a huge effort the whole time. And uh, he decided that he would try not initiating conversations about the gospel because he had had so many kind of painful painful conversations when he had forced the issue. He decided that he would only talk about Jesus if other people started the conversation. And he said the extraordinary thing was that he had far more conversations about Christ then than he had had before. may not be true for everybody, of course, but it was true for him. Uh, Talking of painful consequences of sharing our faith, my friend uh, Alan in Liverpool, decided he made a decision in his life that he would never go to bed until he had shared his faith with an unbeliever every day. That is actually quite an extreme position to adopt, I have to say, but he did. And one day, he tells me, it was getting quite late in the evening and he hadn't met a non-Christian, which is pretty odd in Liverpool, I have to say, but he hadn't. And uh, in desperation, rather than going to bed, he went to his local fish and chip shop uh, confident that there would be a non Christian there. And while ordering his chips, he started to tell the bloke serving out the chips about Jesus. This frustrated the next man standing in the queue, who eventually grabbed Alan by the shoulder and spun him round and headbutted him smack on the nose because he was fed up with waiting for his chips. Alan staggered out of the shop with blood streaming from his face. Uh, and his nose broken, collecting himself together in the street outside and wiping some of the blood off. He eventually went back into the shop, and his assailant was by now ordering his chips. So Alan says to him, he's really got an opportunity now, hasn't he? He says, I'm a Christian, so I forgive you. Amazed and embarrassed by this, the chap fled from the shop. It was a brief conversation. So impressed by this demonstration of Christian character was the shop owner, was the chippy, that he said to Alan, wow, he said, I can see you really practice what you preach. That was really impressive. I can see now that it's not just words with you. But tell me, he said, what would you have done if he had hit you again? And Alan paused for a moment and then said, I would have blank, blank killed him. We are compelled by love, but that doesn't make it easy at all, because there's a battle going on. But secondly, we're compelled by love, but secondly, we are convinced by Christ's death. Verse 15, and he died for all, for for Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. We are convinced by Christ's death. At the heart of the Good Friday message, at the heart of the message of the cross, in wisdom, which is difficult for us to comprehend fully, is the astonishing truth, not just that Jesus died in our place, but that our old sinful nature was nailed to the cross with him. Of course, it feels like sin is well and truly alive in our bodies still. But this is a deceit of Satan, tricking us. The real you and me who trust in Christ is not the person that we once used to be. According to Scripture, that rebellious enemy of God has been put to death. And this is, this is the way that God has brought a whole new community into existence all around the world. We can sometimes feel a beleaguered minority in this country, but around the world there is a vast and rapidly growing missional community of those who believe that their old lives have been nailed to the cross of Christ with Jesus, that we, are, um, that we, have, been, we have died, in a sense, to sin. We have died to sin and been brought alive in Christ. It's actually what Paul is writing about in verses 1 to 5 in this chapter in a very powerful way because this is the reality where so many of us are. Now, we know, he says, that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God. We have an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. That's our real us, the heavenly us. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, Because when we are clothed, we'll not be found naked. We won't be found naked and ashamed. Sinners. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. We long for the reality that it is us to be the apparent reality. We long to be true to our new identity as Christians, so that uh, now it is God who has made us for this purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So we begin to experience this. We begin to taste it. Because we have by grace died to sin, we are effectively heavenly people. It's amazing. But of course, we still wear the clothes of our sinfulness. But they're not us. They just cover and hide our true heavenly nature. See, my friend Alan in the fish and chip shop truly forgave his assailant. That was his true born-again nature kicking in. He, he offered forgiveness in a way that many would not, who are not Christians. But his old nature nearly got the better of him, and might well have done if he had been hit again. You see, the truth is, you don't have to try to be an ambassador for Christ. You don't have to try to be an ambassador for Christ. You just are, if you're a Christ follower, you are an ambassador for Christ and sometimes we pass on the message clearly and sometimes we pass it on rather unclearly but we're controlled by Christ's death we are changed by Christ's death secondly we are uh, thirdly we are controlled by Christ's resurrection verse 15 he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again The fact of Christ's resurrection, the fact that it is true, should sustain us in times of doubt or difficulty. When we struggle as a Christian, when we're not sure whether we really believe it at the moment or it's working out for us, it is worth going back and remembering the truth of the resurrection because we will all have doubts and we'll all have failures in mission. There will be tough times. Bad stuff happens, and it cannot be avoided. At, our, at the leadership conference that a number of us went to uh, ten days or so ago, uh, Kay Warren spoke. Uh, her husband, Rick Warren, uh, many of you will know as the leader of the famous Saddleback Church in America, the author of The Purpose-Driven Life and The Purpose-Driven Church. Kay is his wife, is Rick's wife, and they're still grieving terribly for the loss of their son. Just over a year ago, you may have read about it, uh, he shot himself. Um, He was mentally ill and shot himself. And Kay spoke very movingly from Mark chapter 8, in fact, about what it means to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Christ. She spoke very movingly about the experience of loss, loss and grief and death, and a phrase has stayed with me that she used she said evil comes because evil comes bad stuff happens that is that life in a fallen that is life in a fallen world that is that is where we are but the truth is that evil however real and however powerful can never touch our resurrection experience the resurrection of christ has taken our crucified selves beyond the touch of evil, beyond the control of evil. We can always have victory over evil because we're resurrected people. We are in tune with the one who has defeated the devil's final and most powerful weapon, death. Death is defeated, therefore evil cannot touch the Christian even though the reality may be very grim at times. We can always triumph over evil because of the resurrection. Right now, we are ambassadors for Christ, often in alien territory. And for those of you in school or college, sometimes that can be very, very tough indeed, very hard. You must sometimes feel very alone as Christians. But the resurrection tells us that we're going home. This is not the place that we will ultimately be. We're going to a place where evil and opposition cannot touch us. We're controlled by Christ's resurrection. Fourthly, we are created uh, new people, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Fellow believer, you are not what you were, and I assure you that if you're not yet a Christian, not yet surrendered to Jesus, If you will take that step of faith, you will not be the same person. You may feel the same things. You may have the same desires, the same inclinations in many ways. But actually, you will be born again. You will be a new creation. Something entirely new begins in the life of every new believer. It is Christ, he says in verse 5, it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit As a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. The Holy Spirit makes us new people, new people. I think one of the reasons that we find mission quite hard in the West is because we have forgotten somehow that every Christian, every Christian is a born again Christian. There aren't two sorts of Christians, some who are born again and some who aren't. If you're a Christian, you are born again. That is what a Christian is, someone born again of the Spirit. We've somehow allowed two categories of Christian to come into sort of into being in people's mind. There are born again Christians who are kind of perceived to be happy, clappy weirdos, you know, all of us. And then there are sensible Christians, you know, who go to church on Sunday and don't take it too seriously. Evangelism, therefore, mission – is seen as a kind of odd thing that these extreme Christians do. But imagine, imagine President Putin, for instance. Imagine President Putin, president of Russia, going into his Politburo meeting and saying to them, something really weird happened today, comrades, he'd say. He said, it was really strange. The British ambassador brought me a message from David Cameron. How strange is that? I mean, what else are British ambassadors supposed to do? Take messages from David Cameron to Putin. What else are we supposed to do except take the message that has changed our lives to the world? We are ambassadors for Christ. We are representing the risen and reigning King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We are new people. We are just Every born-again Christian is an ambassador for Christ. We all have the, the thrill of being born and being born again in what Paul calls here the time of God's favor, the day of salvation. That is, that is the era in which, by God's grace, we have been born and born again. We honor and value every single man and woman who has gone from this place to represent Christ cross-culturally in another part of the world. And if, as I hope some of them are, uh, will listen to this podcast in due course, perhaps in very different parts of the world, I think we need to say as a church family that we love you. you. As you're listening to this, we are thinking of you. We pray for you. Your name is right now here on the board at the front of church with some details about you. We are aware of you. You have gone from us, but you are very much part of us here. You are very much part of our church family as we are gathered here in St. Andrew's this evening. So those who have gone are still very much part of who we are. But let me also say to those of you who are here, to those of us who are here as I close, there is a real sense in which we are no different to Tim, In Paraguay, or Jill in Thailand, or the Downings in Albania, or the Coates in Dominican Republic, or whoever it is who's gone around, or those who go regularly from here—they're based in England and travel all around the world doing various things. In a minute, we're going to hear from John Chambers, who comes and goes from Indonesia and has been been doing so for years and years and years. Heroic, heroic people. But we're not that different. We too are ambassadors for Christ. We too our mission partners. We too have this remarkable privilege of representing Christ in alien territory. It is an amazing privilege that we all have. Let's pray. We thank you uh, Father, that in your grace and mercy and love, you had no other plan for the salvation of the world other than that the church, people like us, should take the glorious message of Jesus uh, to the world. We thank you that in a mere 2,000 years, no time in your time, two days, one day is like a thousand years according to the, the scriptures, in, in just two days of your time, uh, millions and millions and millions have come to put their trust in Christ all around the world. And as we gather in this beautiful city here in the sunshine of a summer's evening in Oxford, we are aware of being part of this missional community. So we're brothers and sisters of those who are in concentration camps in North Korea. We're brothers and sisters of those who are imprisoned for their faith in Iran or, or dying for their faith in uh, ethnic disputes in Africa, seeking peace. We stand with those in the front line in places like northern Nigeria uh, where they live daily under the threat of murder by Islamic extremists and others. We stand with our brothers and sisters around the world as a missional community determined to be compelled by the love of Christ to be the people that you want us to be. And so, Father, we pray that you would come by your Spirit, this deposit in our lives, this deposit of of the heavenly future that we have, that you would come by your Spirit and enable us to be the people that you want us to be in the mission place where you've put us, in in the school tomorrow, uh, perhaps where nobody else in the class knows anything about Christianity at all. Uh, In our workplace, perhaps there'll be somebody who Who just needs to be cared for and loved tomorrow, Uh, perhaps in our neighborhood where there may be a housebound or lonely person, Uh, perhaps in the queue at the supermarket or wherever it might be, Lord, help us to be ambassadors for Christ and help us to share your love, that this missional community might grow and that heaven might be experienced on earth.